So I'm here again with Brian Newman, our resident lawyer on the podcast. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. Paul, great to be back. So this week, we're going to talk about disputes and resolutions. So there's a a lot of different types of disputes that can happen in, in architecture. A lot of them are often brought up in our discussion forum. One of the most common disputes being lack of payment, either by an employer not paying an employee or a client not paying an architect. So I was thinking maybe we could talk about ways to resolve disputes. So say, for example, a person hires an architect to design a house for them. Uh, This is a pretty typical problem. The architect then designs the house, gives the designs to the client for review, and the client decides to just stop the project and not go ahead with the designs. And sometimes the client feels that since the designs are not going to be used, they don't need to pay. Obviously, the architect sees it a different way. So what kind of options does the architect have? So there's a range of options, ranging from the very very cheap and very casual to, to very formal and, and much more expensive. And so starting with the most easy, most casual option, uh, the architect can simply call up the client and say, hey, you know, you need to pay me. The work was done. Uh, slightly more formal would be to write a letter, a letter asking for payment or demanding payment, and essentially just engaging in a dialogue. And this is something people often don't expect you know, me as a lawyer to suggest a non-legal option, but this is often, you know, a very effective way of of getting uh, smaller disputes resolved and not having to um, incur the legal expense of hiring an attorney and going through the whole legal process. So I I would suggest, you know, at at the outset, call the client, get a sense of what the, uh, you know, the the client's feelings are as to why they don't have to pay, make your position known as to why uh, you do have to pay and uh, see if you can work out a compromise. You know, not not to suggest the architect cut his or her fee, but it may be worth it just to, uh, you know, a small discount just to get it resolved, maybe suggest a payment plan. If it looks like that first step doesn't work, you might escalate it to a slightly more formal step, send a letter explaining, you know, as you know, we entered into this agreement, you know, I designed your your house, this is the work I did, this is when it was completed, and as you previously agreed, this was the payment that you owe me and I expect to be paid. So would this be a letter that would be prepared by a lawyer or by the actual uh, person fighting the dispute? Well, I would start maybe, especially for smaller disputes, start by sending your own letter. Uh-huh. You start with that. If that doesn't work, and that's sort of the, the second level after just the informal conversation, then you might want to get a lawyer friend of yours involved, either a friend or a referral, just to start by sending a letter. And I almost always, very few exceptions, will start by sending a letter just because it, from the client's point of view, my client's point of view, it's a much more cost-effective option than running to court, incurring all those fees, preparing the lawsuit, paying the filing fees. Just a simple letter saying, I represent you know, Paul Petrunia. Mr. Petrunia is an architect. He was hired by you to design this residence. Here's the work that he completed it. Here's the fee that you agreed to pay him. He wasn't paid. And so, therefore, you know, please remit payment within, give him a reasonable amount of time, two weeks, you know, three weeks, 10 days. And if and you put something at the end, sort of the carrot and the stick, Say, if payment is received by that day, we'll have no other option other than to resort to the legal process. And I would say at least in maybe 20% 20 of my cases, just uh, sending that letter results in either a payment right away, which is the best, or at least a dialogue gets the parties talking. You know, either the uh, the person I sent the letter to or their lawyer will call me, we'll go engage in a dialogue about it, and it will result in, uh, you know, the dispute being resolved outside of court. So it's usually in everybody's best interest to avoid turning it into a... uh a legal dispute. So then if the if, if there's no response from the letter, what's the next step? So the next step somewhat depends on how much money is in question. If it's at under $10,000, 
The next step would be to file essentially a small claims action. Small claims, which they have in all 50 states. Uh, in California, the threshold's 10,000. Other states, it might be slightly more or slightly less. It's a very expedited process where you essentially just uh, fill out a form explaining what the dispute is, pay a filing fee, which is usually a couple hundred bucks, uh, send by certified mail or personal delivery, copy of your complaint to the other party, the person you're suing, and then you get a court date. And you and the other person actually show up in court in front of a commissioner, which is not quite a judge, kind of like a junior judge, uh, and present your case, kind of like what you might see on, on what used to be called the People's Court, now maybe Judge Judy. It's just a judge up there. There's no jury. Uh, you stand at a lectern. You present your case. Uh, you show any documents you might have. Uh, any emails, any proof that the work was done. The other side has an opportunity to present their case. And in two or three weeks, you get, uh, which is essentially a letter from the uh, from the court saying, you know, judgment's issued in favor of either you or in favor of the other party. And again, it's, it's uh, only for smaller disputes. And how much does that usually cost? Well, you don't, you don't hire an attorney for, uh, for small claims courts. So you really represent the, yourself. Represent yourself. That's exactly right. So the fees are going to be just the filing fees, which usually is in the, the low hundreds, and then whatever time and expense it takes to, to essentially to get to the, uh, you know, the hearing. But it's usually something I'd say under uh, under a thousand dollars in fees. Usually well under that. So if the dispute is a relatively small amount, small claims is a good solution. Any other options for small amounts? Yeah, for usually a slightly larger dispute. One thing you might try is mediation. And mediation is something uh, you see a lot in the divorce context. You see it uh, in the employment context a lot. You do see it in the architecture context as well. It's essentially, two people have a dispute. They decide that rather than jumping right into court, we're actually going to sit down with a neutral third party who's called a mediator and see if we can reach a resolution. And uh, usually the way that works, you go to a conference room. Uh, the mediator sits there. He talks to both parties together uh, with attorneys present or without attorneys if there are no attorneys. Then he splits them up into separate rooms. He talks to one party. He talks to the other party. And the goal is essentially to bring the parties together to try to reach a resolution. The downside of it is it's not binding. So, you know, if you feel like you have a great case, uh, your opponent feels like he has a great case, you know, you can both sort of stand your ground and nothing happens. So it sounds like mediation is good for uh, a situation where both parties are wanting to cooperate and come up with a solution, but maybe there's a little too too much emotion to uh, to make that decision without some kind of external moderator. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of uh, court processes, mediation is mandatory anyway. So if you, if you end up in court, at least in here in Los Angeles, for example, if you file a lawsuit, the judge is actually going to order you to try to mediate the case. The reason being they're trying to take some of the pressure off the court system by trying to resolve matters informally. So you may have to mediate whether you like it or not. And if you file a lawsuit, you probably will have to mediate. Is mediation usually effective? I'd say maybe 20, 25% of the time. Okay. So some cases more, some cases less. It really depends. Um, in, in a case where both people are very emotional, it tends to be, at least in my experience, maybe a little less effective because both people are really emotionally invested in their position being right. In a case between two business people where it's just about money, it's usually a lot more effective because they don't have that uh, emotional need to be right or to vindicate themselves. It's just a question of, all right, here's the dispute. And what's a fair resolution? Let's get down to the brass tacks of actually coming up with the number. Okay. So if mediation does not work or if it's not a, a viable option, for the dispute. What else? Well, so the, the next two steps, the more escalated steps, would be to actually file a lawsuit in a Superior Court uh, here in California, different names in different uh, parts of the country. California, uh, it's usually $25,000 and above uh, Superior Court. 
And that would involve significantly more fees, uh, most likely because you'd have to hire an attorney. You actually can represent yourself if you're an individual. If you're a company, you can't represent yourself. You have to hire an attorney. And you have to pay a filing fee, which is about 400 bucks. And then you have to go through what is often a, a lengthy process of actually getting to a, a jury. I mean, we're looking at, at least in California, you're looking at probably about 18 months before you actually get your case heard before a jury. And during that time, you know, the legal fees could be significant. There could be depositions or written discovery, motion practices, depending on, on how much uh, both you and the other attorney or the other party want to push the issue. It could be either you know, somewhat efficient or, or very expensive. But eventually the way the process ends is you either, well, three ways it could end. Either you reach a settlement, which is how most cases end. Uh, you file a motion and the judge grants judgment in favor of one party or the other. It's called a motion for summary judgment or least likely outcome. But the one you're probably the most familiar with your listeners are is you actually go to a trial and the 12 people from the community, a jury comes, they hear the evidence, uh, they hear all the facts, they go back into the jury room, they make a decision, they render judgment for one party or the other. Now, the, the problem with that is by the time you get to that case or to that point in the case, you've spent tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees. So you really have to, at the outset of the case, make a decision. You know, how much is this case worth and uh, what am I willing to invest in it? And what's, what's sort of the end game? You don't want to go into it haphazardly just because you're mad and spend, say, 50000 legal fees fighting about you know, a $30,000 architecture commission. But if you're 100% positive that you have a case on, on your side, you, you can request that the, your, the person you're, you're fighting in court pays your legal fees. Is that right? You can. There, there are some restrictions on it. And this, this gets to an important point you raise, the importance of having a written contract. Okay. In California, you can have an, an oral contract. You can have a written contract. In a written contract, you can include what's called an attorney's fees clause. It essentially says, if we get into a fight and there's a lawsuit, the losing party is going to pay all the attorney's fees for the winning party. But that's something that has to be in the contract, has to be signed and agreed to by all parties. If it's in there, it can be a very effective tool, both in terms of resolving cases early, because the party who thinks he's going to lose is not going to want to fight over it. He's going to have to pay the other party's legal fees. Or if the case can't be resolved, if it actually goes the whole distance, it, it can really be a, a real windfall for the party who's victorious and a, a real um, disaster for the party who's not. I mean, to give you an example, in a case I recently had, we won the case, there was an attorney's fees clause in the contract. And just a couple of weeks ago, we filed a motion for attorney's fees. $488,000 in fees. So this is in addition to, wow. we won the case, which was about a $3 million case. You know, judgment uh, was for us. The other party's going to have to pay their legal fees, which are probably close to half a million, if not more. And in all likelihood, it's going to have to pay our legal fees as well. Wow. So it's a, it can be a powerful tool, but again, it's something you specifically need to have in your contract in order for a judge to consider it. Okay. So the options we're looking at so far is... Um coming up with a mutual agreement before getting into any kind of legal uh, action, small claims, mediation, and full-on law Supreme Court case. Any other options? Yeah. Another option definitely going to want to consider is arbitration. Arbitration is something, again, both parties would need to agree to, would need to be in the contract. And the language would say something to the effect of, uh, in the event there's a dispute between the parties, the parties agree to resolve it by way of binding arbitration. Uh, you can actually choose the uh, the organization to arbitrate it. Some of the more popular ones, JAMS, J-A-M-S, ADR Services, which uh, stands for Alternative Dispute Resolution. Essentially what arbitration is, it's not what you've seen on TV in terms of uh, you know, a judge and a jury 
and a bailiff in a courtroom really takes place in a, in a conference room, usually in a skyscraper somewhere. It's an arbitrator, which is typically a retired judge, uh, sometimes a lawyer who's decided to become an arbitrator, but, but more and more frequently a retired judge actually sits there in a conference room. Both parties show up and uh, put on their case. Uh, similar, but not exactly like court in the sense that it's much faster than taking a case to court. There is no jury. It's decided by one person, the arbitrator. Uh, the typical rules of evidence are much more relaxed. And the rules of discovery uh, are much more limited than they are in court, meaning there aren't going to be uh, depositions. There's probably not going to be much by way of discovery. Essentially, you just sign up for arbitration. Both parties uh, pay a fee for it. Uh, you exchange documents. They set a date for the hearing. You choose an arbitrator, either mutually choose an arbitrator or the arbitration body will choose one at random for you. Uh, and you show up, you put on your case, and usually two weeks later, you get a decision. So uh, the benefit is it's, it's a much more streamlined process, much faster usually than going to court. It's private in the sense that if you do something in court, you know, if it's a high profile case, it's open to the public. Arbitration is totally private. And it's usually something where, uh, you know, you, you may get a much better decision from a, an informed uh, judge, a retired judge serving as an arbitrator than you would from 12 random people in the community. So it sounds like it's something in between mediation and a formal court battle in that it's it has a relatively casual environment with a more formal decision at the end, more formal than mediation, which is... Uh, That's right. So mediation is non-binding, which means the mediator can, can cajole us, can encourage us to settle, but at the end of the day, we can both walk out. Arbitration is, is binding, which basically means that whatever the arbitrator decides, with very, very limited exceptions, is going to be uh, the decision. You're going to get an enforceable judgment. So you can lose an arbitration, and once you lose... You have very limited rights of appeal, unlike in a, in a court proceeding where if you lose a trial, you can go to the court of appeal. You can try going to the Supreme Court. Arbitration, when it's done, is done. So it sounds like the importance of getting all of your um, protecting yourself with a contract is probably a very important part of this whole process in order to come to a come to a conclusion that works. Uh, it's, it's absolutely critical. So I think, well, what typically happens is uh and when people are, are getting along, when everything is going well, the contract may not seem necessary. It may be fine to have a handshake agreement. Oh, it seems like we're friends. This is all going to work out fine. The contract really becomes necessary when things aren't going well. Suddenly, and this happens almost without fail in every case, you know, when, when things fall apart uh, because there's a disagreement about payment or the scope of the services or, or how the services were completed, um, suddenly the party's memories of what, what was agreed to are, are totally different. The architect may say, well, I agreed to do X, Y, and Z. And the client may say, no, 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 you agreed to do three other things. And I agreed to pay you this much when this was completed. And the architect may say, no, no, you agreed to pay me this much. So what the contract does is it lends uh, an air of certainty to it. This is what we're agreeing to. This is when it's going to be completed. This is what each party's obligations are. Uh, so, so an oral contract, to be clear, can be enforceable and usually is enforceable in California, but there's a real question as to what the contract is. And, and by putting into writing, you eliminate that uncertainty. Well, this sounds like a good uh, topic for next week. Do you want to join us next week to talk about some of the most important things to include in a contract? I do. Look forward to it. Great. Well, thanks a lot for coming and uh, talk to you next week. Okay. Thanks, Paul.